1 John 5:18 through 21. We know that no one who has been born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourself from idols. Amen. Thank you, Shirley. Well, sodium is an extremely active element found naturally only in combined form. It always links itself with another element. Chlorine, on the other hand, is the poisonous gas that gives bleach its offensive odor. But when sodium and chlorine are combined, the result is sodium chloride, common table salt. That's that substance that you sprinkle on your food to preserve or to enhance the taste and the flavor. I want us to think about this idea that love and truth can be like sodium and chlorine. Love without truth can be flighty, sometimes blind, willing to combine with various doctrines and philosophies and teachings. On the other hand, truth by itself can be harsh, offensive, sometimes even poisonous. Spoken without love, it can turn people away from the gospel. However, when truth and love intersect in an individual or in a church, then we become what Jesus calls the salt of the earth. And we are able to preserve and bring out the beauty of our faith through this unique and perfect balance of love and truth. Well, today we are finishing up the book of 1 John, and we're looking at the very last three verses of chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. We have continued our course through this letter following the idea that the entire text of 1 John addresses some aspect of our relationship with Christ. We have used this unique word, koinonia, translated in English as fellowship, to represent the critical shared life relationship that we are called to have, both with God and with his children, the church. The true koinonia, the real fellowship that John focuses on in this letter represents that perfect balance of love and truth represented by Jesus himself. We've traveled from the foundation of fellowship that's found in the first four verses of, of the book all the way through purity and consistency and obedience. We've looked at the test of fellowship and the importance of our testimony through living in true fellowship. And now today, we're going to focus on three pieces of critical knowledge that every Christian should have. Now, this knowledge isn't just a book knowledge that you would gain by reading, but it's an experiential knowledge gained through sharing life, koinonia, with Christ. 
John tells his readers that they should have experienced and know these three specific truths. And so together we're going to investigate these this morning, these three pieces of knowledge that are so critical for our faith. What can those in true fellowship with Christ know for certain? The first thing that we want to focus on, that we can know for certain, we know that we are safe. We know that we're safe. Seatbelts can be a hassle at times, can't they? Some people just don't want to be bothered even when the law requires them to buckle up. According to the Associated Press, a, a New Zealander named Ivan Segedin took it to an extreme. It seems that the police ticketed him 32 times over a several-year period because he refused to wear his seatbelt. And even though this was costing him big money, Mr. Segedin refused to buckle up. Finally, instead of obeying the law, the man decided to rely on deception. And so he made a fake seatbelt that would hang over his shoulder and make it appear as though he was wearing a seatbelt when he really wasn't. His trick worked for a while, but then he had a head-on collision. He was thrown forward onto the steering wheel, and he was killed instantly. Later, discussing the accident, the coroner described the fake seatbelt. He said, though his car was fitted with seatbelts, an extra belt with a long strap had been knotted above the seatbelt on the driver's side, providing a belt simply to sit over the driver's shoulder. You see, when truly tested, what is fake will fail you. But as believers, we possess a clear and a real knowledge of what is true. Let's look at verse 18 together. John says, We know that no one who has born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. And so what John is communicating to us here is that he who was born of God, that is Jesus Christ, keeps him, that is the believer. So John means that we are kept by Jesus and protected by Satan by him. The word touch here has the idea of to attach oneself to. And so John clearly says that the evil one, that is Satan, or by implication his demons, cannot attach themselves to the one who is born of him. The word touch has a, a very strong and definitive meaning. It means to lay hold of or grasp. It's more than just a superficial touch. The only other place that John uses this word in his writings is in the Gospel of John in chapter 20 in verse 17. It happens after the resurrection when Jesus literally tells Mary, stop clinging to me. Stop touching me. You see, because we are born of him, Satan cannot grab hold of us. He cannot cling to us in the sense that he can in the case of someone who is not born of him. If we are born of Christ, we are set off from the world. We are no longer under the grasp 
of the wicked one, though the rest of the world still is. Knowing this truth means that we can be free to be what we are called to be in Christ Jesus and separate ourselves from the world systems surrounding us. Those systems that are perpetuating false knowledge, fake security, and operating in open rebellion against the Lord. You see, true safety and security comes from consistently wearing the seatbelt of knowledge provided by our Lord. Instead of relying on some haphazard invention of this world flung over our shoulder that is useless and ultimately leads to death. We know that we are safe. And then secondly, we know that we're safe, but we also know that we are in a battle. We are in a battle. John puts it very clearly in verse 19. He says, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we belong to God. We can be assured of our own safety, but we also need to know that the evil one controls this whole world in which we live. Now, this is an important piece of knowledge for us to possess because it reminds us that our hope and our plans and our passions must be rooted in the eternal kingdom, not in the kingdoms and the systems of this world, which are under the power and influence of Satan. God guarantees the safety of our faith but not necessarily the safety of our belongings or our rights or even our own lives. Well, the United States is gradually becoming more spiritual and less religious, polls show that belief in the paranormal is on the rise. Polls conducted in the last number of years by Gallup suggest that roughly half of Americans believe demonic possession is real. The percentage of Americans who believe in the devil is even higher. And in fact, it has been growing throughout the years. Gallup polls show that the number rose from 55% in 1990 to more than 70% just a few years ago in 2017. But why? Why is belief in demons on the rise when belief in a Christian faith is declining? Well, it seems that people seek fulfillment through the occult. Carlos Iyer, a historian at Yale University, said, as people's participation in Orthodox Christianity declines, there has always been a surge in interest in the occult and in the demonic. Today, we're seeing a hunger for contact with the supernatural. Adam Jortner, an expert on American history at Auburn University, agrees. He says, when the influence of institutional churches is curbed, people begin to look for their own answers. At the same time, there has been a rebirth in magical thinking. American culture has been steeped in movies and television shows and other media about demons and vampires and witches and satanic influence. Well, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Those of us that are safe in Jesus. 
but looking out over a raging battlefield of this world. What is our role in all of this? Well, one thought that comes to my mind is this. The church must be a place of safety. We must create an environment and a culture that reflects the truth and the knowledge of the safety that we enjoy. May our prayer and our practice be to reach out to those who are impacted by the evil and the disappointment and the disillusionment of this worldly system. And may we help them to seek freedom from the demonic oppression of this world. While we know we are surrounded by a battle, we also know the outcome has already been determined and that we're on the winning side. And so that truth should give us confidence to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, even as we actively engage in saving people from the destruction that rages all about us on the battlefield. Folks, we know that we're safe. We know that the battle rages on. And third, we know the truth. We know the truth. In the end, John circles back to the same point he has repeatedly emphasized in this letter. Truth matters. Real truth is available, and true fellowship can only be based on this enduring and sacred truth of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Well, we know that love matters to John. We've talked about that in this letter already. After all, he is even known as the apostle of love. But for John, truth matters just as much as love. In this sentence, he mentions it three times. The work of Jesus in us gives us an understanding and the ability to know him and to be in him. The abiding life of fellowship that John invited us to all the way back in chapter one. Significantly, this understanding that we have must be given. We don't attain it on our own. If God did not reveal himself to us, we would never find him. We know him and can know him because he reveals himself to us. And more than any other way, God reveals himself to us by him who is true. That is his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key and the focus of it all. We see the personality and the character of God by looking at Jesus. Him who is true, that statement, also reminds us of a theme that John has had throughout this letter. The importance of true belief 
of trusting in the true Jesus, of placing our faith in the real Jesus and not a a made-up Jesus, a created Jesus of this world. The Jesus of the Scriptures is Him who is true, who is the Son, Jesus Christ. That is the true God, and he says, and eternal life. And so John is telling us who Jesus is. He was a man. We looked at that in chapter 1, in verse 1, in chapter 4, in verse 2, in chapter 5, in verse 6. But he was not only a man. He is totally man and the true God and eternal life. John does not and we cannot promote the humanity of Jesus over his deity or his deity over his humanity. He is both fully God and fully man. This is the truth of who Jesus is. Theologian John Stott says of of the statement, this is the true God in eternal life. He says, this would be the most unequivocal statement of the deity of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, which the champions of truth are quick to exploit against the heresy of false teachers. And so, like sodium and chloride, Jesus brings together the perfect balance of love and truth to preserve our lives and to enhance the flavor of this life until we receive the life that is to come. These are the truths of Jesus that cannot be denied. Well, then finally, John closes with verse 21, where he simply says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Well, this may seem like a strange way to end a letter, but it really fits with the theme of the real living fellowship, the koinonia that God wants to have with us. You see, the enemy of fellowship with God is idolatry, embracing a false God or a false idea of the true God. And so John closes with this simple warning after having spent much of his letter warning us against the dangers of the false Jesus that so many were teaching in his day. And by the way, how so many continue to teach in this day. You see, we can only have a real relationship with the God who is really there. Idolatry, whether obvious like praying to a statue or subtle, like living for your career or money or some person other than God. Idolatry will always choke out a real relationship with God and damage our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so no wonder that John ends with this statement, keep yourselves from idols. This is how we can protect our fellowship with God and with one another. One author put it this way, worship is pulling our affections off of our idols and putting them on God. I love that statement. When we worship together, we are redirecting our affection from ourselves, from our idols to Lord God Almighty. And so this morning, let me ask you this question. Where do your affections lie? What areas of your life do you pursue with enthusiasm and diligence and hard work? 
because it's quite possible that those very areas could be the idols in your life which John calls you to avoid. It's a sign of the times. Maybe a sign of our culture. People are taking so many selfies that they're getting selfie wrist. Selfie wrist. Tina Choi, age 29, she works in digital media promotion. She says a successful selfie can raise the profile and income of her clients. Choi believes that selfies are an effective way of sharing a sense of yourself. It's really about telling a story, where you're at, what you're doing, how active you are, Choi said. But all of that selfie taking started causing tingling in her fingers and her wrist and later discomfort. And after a few months, she felt, she felt a sharp pain in the corner of her wrist and it actually would prevent her from working. It turned out to be a form of carpal tunnel because of the hyperflexion of the wrist in her, in her wrist. And the nerve was becoming inflamed and angry, said Dr. Levi Harrison, her orthopedic surgeon. He said the problem begins when patients constantly hyperflex their wrist inward in a rush to capture that perfect moment. Harrison showed her how to do some simple exercises for a few minutes each day, and after a few weeks, Tina's pain improved. Now she says she takes much safer selfies. <laughs> safer selfies. She says, that is the nature of our generation right now. We're taking so many selfies these days. You know what, folks? The greatest idolatry of American culture is self-idolatry. And brothers and sisters, may we make it our ambition to place our affection and our enthusiasm and our diligence and our hard work not in self-promotion, but in working towards sharing the knowledge and truth that we have received from Jesus Christ sharing that with others. I'd like to close our message time this morning by viewing a video together. And then I'm going to come back up and share a practical way that we might begin to refocus from ourselves to those around us who are so desperately in need to receive the perfect balance of love and truth that we come to know in Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and view the video, folks. When's it gonna happen? Here I am, there you are. Here I am desperate for love, for truth. What are you gonna do when you leave this building? Are you gonna share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just gonna bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past, like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. <laughs> and my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is gonna make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I, I know I'm a bad person. 
I've, I've done bad things. But I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down. To be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's, there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do. Because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this, this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes. It's, it may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. But I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm gonna ask you, when's it gonna happen? I wonder who that young woman represents in your life. One of your kids? One of your grandkids, one of your neighbors, a coworker, some casual acquaintance. Surrounding us every day are people that are deeply and profoundly lost. And for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, those of us who understand that perfect intersection of truth and love, it's our responsibility to share that. Today I want to offer you just a very simple tool to share with your families and friends. It's a, a little booklet. It's got a heart on the front. It says apologize. Just nine brief pages that would help you share truth and love, the truth and love of Jesus with others. We have a bunch of these available today. They're going to be by the front door as you exit at the end of the service. They're there for you to take if you want to take one or if you want to take 20. We encourage you to do that. And I want to encourage you to think about using it to sit down with somebody. Maybe one of your kids. Maybe one of your grandkids. Maybe you can look up the Bible verses together. Maybe you can take this and share it with a neighbor or a coworker and say, hey, read this and then let me know if you have any questions. Now, this is certainly not the only tool but our prayer is that it might help you to reach out beyond yourself.
to those who need truth and love the most. So I encourage you to pick up a few on your way out the door today. This time, let's go to the Lord in prayer.